0: We had our little Christmas presentation called Iconic Christmas, uh, and we had a, a few characters that were, are considered icons when you think about Christmas. Uh... And during his message last week, Pastor Joey helped us by giving us the definition of the word icon, and I'd just like to remind us of that, and you'll see it come on the screen. It's a a sign or representation that stands for its object by virtue of resemblance or analogy. Now, that's a big definition, but it just simply means that when you see something, it automatically triggers in your mind or, as a re, or you know, a, a response, and you know what that means. Uh, and and so he uh, talked last week about uh, the star and uh, that guided uh, the wise men and, and what that star represents. We know the star of Christmas and that it led them uh, the wise men to where uh, the Christ was. And he connected that to talk about how we need to be iconic in in all the different representations of the star. And I so appreciated that, and it really triggered this thought in my heart for this week that we needed to continue on this uh, idea, this uh, thought about being iconic, that we need to be iconic Christians. And if you didn't get, by the way, to, uh, uh, to be with us last week, I really want to encourage you to get online and, and check out the video. It's a great message. Uh, not to mention that you'll get to see my first and last performance <laughs> on the stage. But uh, thank you for that one clap offering. <laughs> that one clap offering cost me 20 bucks. <laughs> but... Iconic Christians is what we're going to focus in on today. And what that means is we want to look at that iconic Christians are those whose lifestyles resembles or is a true representation of Christianity. In other words, when you look at someone who calls themselves a Christian, do they truly represent what Christianity is all about? Do they truly represent Jesus Christ? Do they resemble the character of Christ? And so uh, I want to take us on a journey uh, today looking at a couple of things, from uh, icons from the Christmas story, two iconic figures from the Christmas story uh, that are going to help us today on what God wants us to look at regarding becoming iconic. Christians. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to look at the Gospel of Luke. We're going to begin there in uh, chapter 1. I'm going to start in the 26th verse. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, And the angel said to her, uh, went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, I'm going to turn to Matthew's gospel in chapter 1. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. I want to look this morning for just a few moments here about this couple, Joseph and Mary. What we know from the scriptures is that Joseph was a carpenter. He wasn't a scribe. He wasn't a teacher of the law. He wasn't a priest. He was a simple, ordinary man that lived and made his life, uh, his trade, carpentry. And he's engaged to be married to Mary. There's nothing extraordinary about Mary in that she was engaged to him and she didn't come from an affluent family or anything of that nature. Uh, What I'm getting at is Joseph and Mary were an ordinary couple. They received this declaration independently. Both of them received a declaration from an angel that God had sent them. And this declaration, I want to sum it up essentially in this phrase. God told them independently that he had a plan for their life. God, essentially through the angel, told Mary, I have a plan for your life. That plan is to use you to bring forth the Christ, to reveal the Son of the living God. He told that to Joseph in a dream. I have a plan for your life. It is a plan that will bring forth the Christ. Now, our connection to that this morning is to listen to, hopefully, that you and I will listen to the declaration of God over our, every single one of our lives. Listen to the declaration of God's word for you. Jeremiah 29 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And then in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. See, the first thing I want you to recognize and understand is that iconic Christians live with a purpose. Iconic Christians live with a purpose. They understand that salvation is so much more than just having their sins forgiven. They understand that though they are ordinary people, God has a plan for their life. Listen to me. If you've embraced Jesus Christ as your savior this morning, if you have embraced him and have been water baptized and you declared, "I am a now a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ," you need to understand. You need to hear the declaration from God over your life. God has a plan for your life. That's what God is telling you and I this morning. I have a plan for your life. Come on, look at your neighbor tell them that God has a plan for your life (laughs) and this plan is to use you to help others see Christ to use you to help others see Christ now this is something that I have discovered over the years as a pastor so many Christians struggle with So many of God's children struggle believing that God has a plan for their life. They, don't, they think that this is exclusively for those who have been selected by God to be pastors or to be missionaries or to be some teacher of the Bible. So many of God's children uh, fail to embrace, fail to believe this dynamic truth that God has a plan for their life. They they are wonderful in that they love Jesus because Jesus has saved them. He has washed away their sins. He has given them new life. And they're so grateful for that. But they now struggle to believe. They don't see anything in inside of them that would warrant God having a plan for their life. Trust me, I never imagined that God's plan for my life would ever include the pastorate. I didn't even think that God could ever use me to teach the Bible. Because I looked at my life and all I saw was a former drug addict and all I saw was an ordinary man who who barely struggled to to graduate from high school, who had no higher education. I, I, I considered myself just an ordinary guy. I still do. And like you, there are times where God reveals a chapter of the plan that he has and it's always going to be something that we struggle believing because our first response is to look at ourselves and say am I qualified for that thing am I do I have the ability to, 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 to do that which, which I'm sensing God wants me to do and our usual response to that question is no you see I'm just a nobody well Joseph was a nobody in the sense that he was a simple carpenter. God didn't choose to use a high priest or some other priest, somebody from the priesthood. He didn't choose to use a scholar. He didn't choose to use a king or somebody in royalty. He chose a carpenter, an ordinary man, and a young woman named Mary who had nothing in her background that would indicate that she would carry the son of the living God. You see, God loves to use ordinary people. He loves to select and to choose people and say, you feel that there is nothing great about you, but I want you to know that's the very reason why I'm choosing you. Because I love to take the ordinary and do something extraordinary with their life. And I'm not saying by any means that God's plan means that everybody's going to be a pastor, that everybody's going to be a missionary or something of that nature. You see, we have this tendency to elevate certain ministries as special. Did you know every ministry is special? Women who work in the nursery, it's special. It is not, I'm not more special than the people who hold our babies. I am not more special than the people who teach our children. In fact, I will tell you this. I think one of the highest calling, if I want to grade, then I'll grade it this way. One of the highest callings God can give is somebody to teach children. Because that's the next generation that's going to continue to bring the word of God forward. So I have a very high regard for men and women that dedicate themselves to teaching children the ways of the Lord. Oh, yeah. Ushers are special. You don't know how special they are? Try having church without them. Try having church without sound people, media people. Try having church without anybody in Christian A serving or anybody dedicating their time to work on a platform. Try having church regularly without somebody cleaning the building, cleaning the bathrooms. You see, what I'm getting at is, there's no such thing as ordinary ministry. God's plan is to use every single one of us. Some of the most precious Christians that I know are people that will never grace a platform. There's one sister that is so precious to me that when we first started the church in New York, her immediate desire was to help take care of the nursery. And for 30 years, her job, her ministry, was taking care of children. But not just in the nursery. She had enough workers at one point to do that. But she would look into a service, and she would look for first-time visitors that bought babies. And she would come right up to them and introduce herself Say hi, I'm in charge of the nursery. I want to love your baby, take care of your baby, so that you can focus on God. And she had this sense of God upon her that mothers would just say, okay, (laughs) and give her baby to her. And every child that was in the nursery, she called them, this is my baby. And our ministry in the nursery flourished because the hand of God was on her to take care of children. See, God had a plan for her life, and she fully embraced that plan. And what I'm getting at for all of us here today is don't sell yourself short. Don't allow the enemy to convince you that, that, that you are not worthy enough for God to have a plan for. Listen, if it comes to that, there's no one that's worthy. God uses us purely by his grace. You see. Now here's the other thing I've discovered that there are Christians who struggle embracing God's plan because now they're convinced, not that God can't use them, they're convinced that God's plan won't be good for them. See, somehow they they have embraced this thought that if I go God's way and do God's things, then My life is not going to be my own to the measure that I won't be able to enjoy life. That that God's plan somehow is going to hurt me. Even though God's word has declared, I have a plan for your life. And it's a plan not to harm you, but it's to prosper you, to give you hope, and to give you a future. Church, you could never, ever have a better life than being right in the center of God's plan. God has a phenomenal plan for your life, and it's a plan that is going to cause you to be incredibly blessed. I want to assure you it will give you hope. It will give you a future. You will never feel more fulfilled than when you're in the very center of God's plan for your life. See iconic Christians, they live with a purpose. And that's the embracement of God's plan for their life. Would you say amen to that? Now, back to the scriptures in Luke chapter two now. I'm going to look at uh, the first seven verses of chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea Then back at Matthew uh, chapter 2, I believe. Yeah, Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 13 through 15. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take your child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up and he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. While he stayed there, where excuse me, where he stayed until the death of Herod, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Okay, so now Joseph and Mary have to head to Bethlehem to register for this census but they get there and because so many other people have arrived there's now no more rooms available in the inns we don't know how many inns there were whether it was more than one but they had no place and now she goes into labor and she gives birth and she winds up wrapping her child the newborn baby in some cloth and then she laid him in a manger which is really a trough That which is used to feed animals. That was baby Jesus' crib, a trough. Which brings up a question. If Mary was in the center of God's will, if Mary was carrying out the plan of God, couldn't God at least provide a place for them to stay? You would think that you're giving birth to the Son of God, Wouldn't God give better accommodations than a trough for his son? And then after the wise men come to visit and they go on their way, we read that Joseph now receives a a, a vision from God in a dream. He is told, you've got to get up right away and you've got to flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you to come back. Because Herod is going to come to look for the child. Which brings up more questions that Joseph could certainly ask. If I'm in the center of God's plan, couldn't that God at least provide one angel to protect the child? After all, it's his son. Why do I have to run? And why go all the way to Egypt? The place that in a good Jew's heart, he would never go to. That was the place of bondage. Why would I want to go back there? And why do I have to stay until you tell me to come back? And what in the world does that have to do with you and I today? Here's a simple thought that came to my heart with this iconic Christians, listen, live in reality, not fantasy. Here's what I mean by that. They don't expect to live in an Eden-like world. There's this common misconception among God's people that because they are Christians, and even because they're in the center of God's plan, that nothing bad or nothing uh, uh, would ever happen to them that will create problems in their life. But listen, once again, to the declaration of God's word for every iconic Christian. Acts chapter 14, verse 22. They encourage them to continue in the faith, listen, reminding them that we must, everybody say must with me, we must suffer many what? Hardships to enter the kingdom of God. You see, iconic Christians realize that life is not always going to unfold as they desire or expect. Iconic Christians, they understand that even hardships are part of the plan of God for their life. See, I don't want to sugarcoat this thing this morning. I don't want to tell you that God's plan will, will never bring hardships your way. I don't want to tell you that if you are, become an iconic Christian and fully embrace God's plan, that you're going to live in this Eden-like world where nothing as ever terrible is ever going to happen to you, where you're never going to encounter any hardship. Think about Joseph and Mary now, where all of a sudden you're giving birth and your, your expectation in the natural would be I'm carrying the son of God I'm in the very center of God's plan surely God would provide something better for me than to put my baby in a trough but God didn't and Joseph would have said surely man God come on I'm taking care of the son of the living God you sent an angel to tell me well why can't you send an angel to protect them the iconic Christians realize that even difficulties and hardships are part of God's plan. We don't always understand them, but they are part of God's plan. In fact, look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, you get to this place where If you really are in the center of God's plan, and you want to be an iconic Christian, and that means a person that truly resembles what Christianity is all about, a person who truly uh, uh, emanates the very character of Jesus Christ, then you recognize, not only does God have a great, wonderful plan to use me so that people can see Christ, but I also understand that part of that plan incorporates difficulties. Trials. It means doing what God wants me to do. Even though I don't want to do it. Go to Egypt. But I don't want to go there, God. But go. And stay there until I tell you to. Iconic Christians realize life is not always going to unfold the way I want it to unfold. I never expected. To lose my job but I have I'm not going to start blaming God now I'm not going to start getting angry at God now because that would not be iconic as a Christian see iconic Christians recognize God has a plan for everything and that means if I lost my job that's part of God's plan for my life unless of course I lost God's plan my job because I was foolish and acted foolishly I'm talking about you can be living right and still have difficulties in your, in your job. I'm talking about you can be doing everything God wants you to do and still suffer illness. You can be in the very center of God's plan, and then you walk out this morning and your car is gone. And which, by the way, has happened to me three times in my life. Three times I've had cars stolen. Twice they were new cars never to be seen again. And one was on a Sunday morning, like, whoa, what's going on here, God? Iconic Christians accept the good and the bad. And they maintain that quiet spirit that Job initially had, but lost. The Lord giveth, and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's how an iconic Christian lives. So number one, they live with a purpose, and that's the embracement of God's plan for their life. Then iconic Christians live in reality, reality, not fantasy. Listen, they understand that even hardships are part of God's plan for their life. And here's the last thing I want to look at with you. And that is, Joseph and Mary's lives, in my humble opinion, were marked by obedience. And when I use the word marked, I mean there's a, uh, one of the definitions of the word marked, it means to have a distinctive tone. There was something about their lives that you can put your finger on and say, man, That couple were so obedient to God. That's what I'm talking about. right? Because we find in Luke chapter 1, back there at verse 38, after Mary had been told by the angel what was going to happen, verse 38, Mary's response, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So Mary's initial response, when she hears this phenomenal plan that God has for her life, essentially saying, okay, God, whatever you want to do with my life, my life is yours. Many years ago, as a young Christian, I came into the kingdom of God with this drug habit, and I just couldn't overcome it. And I came to a point one day where I made one of the craziest prayers I've ever made in my life. And that was a simple prayer. I said, God, if you can break this drug habit in my life, my life will be yours, and I will do whatever you want me to do. I said that never imagining the journey that God would bring me on. But I, I, my heart's desire for all of us today is that our lives would be marked by obedience. Even Joseph now, he finds out his fiance is pregnant and they're about to get married. And now he has this dream. And in the dream, the angels say, take Mary to be your wife. Because what's conceived of her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, we're reading it today, so many thousands of years later. And we know the Christmas story over and over again. But can we lie in bed the way Joseph would have done that night? Think about it. Joseph is in bed, and he's got this dream, a dream he would never, ever had in his life. Never imagined, hey, your fiance, she's pregnant with the Holy Spirit. Huh? What's that? Never heard that expression before. What does that even mean? I uh, do turn over. I don't know about you, but I turn over, I get the bad dream. Let me try this side. Maybe the bad dream will go away. <laughs> yep, she's pregnant with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to still marry her. What? I want you to marry her. Because the child is going to be the Messiah. The most phenomenal dream that is easy for you and I to think, wow, that's a great dream. But what if God told you now... Hey, the woman that you're going to be married, she's pregnant, but it's not another guy. It's the Spirit of God right in her. Yeah, right. Come on, this is 2021, soon to be 22, God. (laughs) marrying. But think about it. He got up, and without question, he followed God's direction. And his wife... Has the baby, and this guy has another dream. You know, if I was Joseph, I probably would have taken some a uh, leaf PM or something, make sure I, I, I'm knocked out, I don't dream or whatever. Because now God comes to him and tells him, "You got to get up and go, and you got to go where I know you don't want to go, and you got to stay there." We're not told how long their stay was. But you got to think about this. If God told you, I know that you think Chicago is like heaven. Um, That's the problem with your life. But anyway, all that aside, I want you to leave Chicago. I want you to go live in Russia. In Siberia. And I want you to stay there until I tell you to come back. I wonder how many of us would just blank, obey, get up, get our wife up at middle of the night. It's time to go. Where are we going? Siberia. <laughs> you going alone? <laughs> how many wives? You know what? thought? you going alone? <laughs> I ain't taking my child to Siberia. Yeah, we gotta go there. That's what God told us to go. And they stayed there. We live in a day and age where this is an aspect of Christianity that is so far removed so many of God's children battle obedience you get into a church that God brought you initially you acknowledge God thank you for bringing me to a wonderful church and all of a sudden as time elapsed something happens in the church and the next thing you know I'm booking and the Spirit of the Lord said, "No, I want you to stay there." Well what should I say? I can go find a better church or not, you stay there until I tell you to go." See, we live in a day and age, and I'm just saying this as on behalf of all churches and all pastors. We've got people just rotating churches, acknowledging that God brings them, but not willing to listen to God to stay until God tells them to go. And I recognize, listen, there is no such thing as a perfect church. Belmont certainly, this church certainly is not perfect. Look who's the pastor. You're never going to find an imperfect church because when you do find it, it has now become imperfect because you just arrived. Think about that one for a moment. Merry Christmas. But we we, we lead ministries at the first sign of something that doesn't happen to him, I'm leaving. No, you stay. You stay until I tell you. After all, that's part of my plan for your life. See, if you only follow what you want to do, you cannot be an iconic Christian. Because isn't Jesus' life marked by obedience? He came for one purpose, and one purpose alone was he born, to die on the cross, because that was the will of his father. And even though in the garden, right before he was arrested, there was a little struggle. He said, God, if it's all possible, I don't want to drink that cup. I don't want to go down and have to do that. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And what was God's answer? Let me send an angel to strengthen you for what you got to do. God didn't take it away. God said, I understand. I'll find somebody else. And I thank God that Jesus obeyed the Father and carried out the plan that God has for his life all the way to the cross. And because of that, you and I can be here today. You see what I'm talking about is iconic Christians their lives are marked by obedience to the lord in first peter chapter 1 verse 2 the bible says who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of god the father through the sanctifying work of the spirit to be what come on i can't hear you to be what obedient obedient to who Jesus Christ. yeah see That verse, let me break it down simply what it means. The Bible is saying as far as your salvation, you did not choose Jesus. Jesus told you. You have been chosen by God to be into his family. You have been chosen by God. How? Because you can't come to Christ unless the Father draws you. Unless God, all of a sudden, one day opened your eyes, and now, although you heard the Christmas story many a times, now for the first time in your life, it makes sense. Now for the first time in your life, there is spiritual awakening, and you realize how much God loved you when he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you, and you responded to that by embracing Christ as your Savior. But the Bible says that's all because you were chosen. You simply responded to God already choosing you. And as God's chosen, now you are being sanctified. That's a big word that simply means you're in the process of being made holy by the Spirit of God. See, the Christian journey is about God working in us through his spirit day by day and chiseling away the things that are not pleasing to God, the things that are not righteous, that are not holy, so that only the holy remains. But that is a lifelong process. And so I thank God that he chose us. And I thank God that he's working in us to make us more like him. But I can't leave out the third point of that scripture, that God is doing all that to be obedient to Jesus, so that you and I can live a life that's marked by obedience. Now, one thought about obedience. See, iconic Christians realize that obedience is not one of convenience, Meaning, if I agree with what God wants, i go along. If it fits into my calendar and my schedule and my desires and my plans, then I'll embrace it. If it works for me, I obey. That is not the mark of an iconic Christian. See, iconic Christians may not always understand everything that God is doing. They might even not always agree with what God wants. But iconic Christians do what God wants them to do. Iconic Christians go where God tells them to go. Iconic Christians stay where God tells them to stay. And when people may say, well, why are you doing that? Because that's what God wants. And my life is not marked by what I want. My, my life is marked by what God wants. The same God who loved me and died for me, who's working in my life by the Spirit, is the same one that I want to be obedient to. Because a Christian's, iconic Christian's lives are marked by obedience to the Lord. Stand with me. Breaking it down through the life of Joseph and Mary this morning, of what it means To be an iconic Christian, to live and have such a lifestyle that resembles or is a true representation of what Christianity really is all about. And that is the the embracement of God's plan for our life. That is living in reality and not fantasy where we understand there are going to be some difficult times in our life. And they're all part of God's plan to mold us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And I want my life to be marked by obedience. I want people to see Jesus in me because of the way that I live. Blessed be his wonderful name. If that's your heart's desire right now, as I prepare to close in a word of prayer, I just want you to lift up your hand. If you're serious to say, Pastor, thank you for that word that God gave you. Uh, about What does it mean to be an iconic Christian? One that truly resembles what Christianity is all about. It's a great representation of Christ. I want to be that Christian. I want to be that kind of Christian that embraces the plan that God has for, for my life. I want to be the kind of Christian that understands that lives in reality and not fantasy that they're going to be tough times, but I'm not going to blame God or get angry at God. I'm going to embrace them as part of God's plan for my life. And that my life from this moment forward by the grace of God is going to be marked by obedience. Lift up your hand if that's you. Father, you see every hand that's raised. Not just here, God, but for those that are watching uh, through social media, God. We lift up our hands, God. We tell you, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you this morning that you have outlined for us. What does it mean, truly, to be an iconic Christian in in our character, oh God? And that's what we want to be. We want to be an accurate representation of Jesus Christ and of Christian so that when people look at our life, when people see our lifestyle, oh God, they will realize that this person is truly a Christian because we are embracing the plan that you have for our life. And I thank you that you have a plan for every single life, not just here in this room, but for every child of God, everyone that has the blood of Jesus cleansing them from their sin and the spirit of God dwelling within their heart. You have a plan for their life. It is a plan not to harm them, but to prosper them, to give them hope and to give them a future. And there are things that you have planned long before we were even born born for us to do. May every single one of us embrace that plan, oh God. I pray, Father, that we would live in reality and not fantasy. I thank you, God, that you do bless us. I thank you that you do watch over us. But there are times where you allow difficulties, hardships, trials, whatever we want to call them, into our lives. And they serve a purpose. They are part of your plan as well. They reveal whether our faith is genuine or not. They test us. They refine us. And how else can we show the world Christ if we're living in this protective bubble all the time? The world needs to see that even in difficult times, we bless your name. Even in difficult times, we praise and magnify the name that's above every other name. The world needs to see that even though things are not unfolding the way they thought they were, you're still worthy of our worship and praise. Oh God, help us in that regard. And help all of our lives to be marked by obedience. To do what you want us to do. To go where you want us to go. To stay where you want us to stay. Oh God, we may not always understand, but may we always fully embrace it. So that our lifestyle can truly resemble what Christianity is all about. Because that is what in the end will bring great glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen Amen and amen. Come up one more time. Put your hands together and bless the Lord.